Well, good morning. Good. <laughs> I was wondering if this is going to be fun or not, but it looks like it will be. Um, it's so good to be here, and I wanted to thank you first for having us over here. This last week was amazing. Uh, thank you, Eric and Steve and all of you guys who had us. This has been, this has been amazing for us. So, uh, But I am Freddie, and that's my wife, Lenka, somewhere back in there. She doesn't like to come up and... <laughs> uh, so it's usually just me, and uh, I want to do two things. I want to I wanted do like a short update about what's happening in Czech and maybe tell you a little bit more about who we are, and then we're going to be looking at Philippians too. But um, with I want to do the update first uh, because I, you know, you have been so helpful. I, I don't know if the videos can, how much you can get from the videos and all that, but you have been so helpful in what we're doing in the Czech Republic that... Um, I, I'm, I'm so thankful. I really don't know how to say it in another way, but it has been amazing. So thank you for your partnership. And uh, I wanted to uh, give a little, okay, <laughs> we might have some technical difficulties. Uh, there you go. So we, I, I represent what we call Mayak Network. It's a, it's a network of churches in Czech and Slovakia that we started uh, uh, in 2006 with a group of about 15 people who had a heart for uh, a missional life and church planting. So that was the thing that we wanted to do. And, uh, uh, oops, yeah, this is, this is the group that started the Mayak. And then uh, in 2022, we celebrated 16th anniversary, and, and this is from our uh, anniversary that we kind of get all the churches together and uh, celebrate what God has been doing in the last year. Uh, this is the map of Mayak uh, churches. Uh, these are... There are actually not all of them uh, there because we had some uh, new churches coming in, but uh, we operate on the eastern side of Czech Republic and uh, Slovakia. I, uh, if you want to put my face and my wife's on the fridge and pray for us, there are these cards uh, up outside in the lobby, and on the back you can see uh, basically this picture with all the churches where they are. Um, so if you're ever in Europe and in Czech Republic or Slovakia, please visit us. Um, we, it would be great to have you. Um, we uh, people always ask me what is our strategy, what do we try to do, how 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 are we doing this, how are we planting churches, what what is the thing that we do, and the answer is we we really don't have a strategy. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's the important thing, uh, because in Czech all of these all of these places, all of these dots on the map, they happen in such a different way that even if we if we try to have a strategy, it wouldn't work. Uh, but what we do uh, is over the years we have developed. Uh, Sort of a leadership training process that that we do. Uh, we try to we start with uh, teenagers that are 13 to 15 year old, and go all the way to the pastor in training. The last one is, is when we have a guys who want to be pastors, want to really go into full time vocational ministry. So it's a two year internship program we have for them. Uh, but the purpose of this leadership uh, training and, uh, is that we have enough leaders. So that when the opportunities come, we're ready for them, right? So we have people who can either go and help in different places, or we have people to, that can, that can uh, stay and so that other people can go. But we have enough leaders, basically, that when different opportunities come, we can, we, we're ready for it. And uh, uh, so that, that's basically our strategy. That's what we, what we try to do, look for different opportunities and, and make sure that there are leaders ready for what we try to do. And uh, I wanted to share a couple opportunities that we had in just last probably two years. So um, 
and you have been part of, of some of that, and I will tell you more about it. The first one is, um, is a really cool ministry that uh, this guy, Marek, uh, uh, started. It's called Hooligans Church, and it's a church for homeless people. So Marek has been working as a social worker in homeless shelter for uh, probably 15 years. And three years ago, he started meeting with homeless people in the streets and in homeless shelters and different places and started reading Bible with them and praying with them. And right now, he's meeting with probably um, 80 to 100 homeless people every week in seven different locations, and they do Bible studies together. They pray, they pray together. Um, and so this, we were able to free Marek up uh, uh, part-time for this ministry because he was doing it all in his free time. And so last fall, we have seen this opportunity that we could take, and, and we, were able to, uh, we were able to help uh, and make sure that at least he has at least some time that he can he can focus on this so that was one opportunity the other one this is uh, our our one our newest church plant in this city called Tsinets, which is up north and uh, there was a group of about uh, four families that was meeting during covid as a small group and they had a heart for their city they wanted to see a, a church there uh, so they started doing after covid they started doing uh, a public services once a month and and this is actually where Tomas, the guy that you guys are, are supporting, um, he's leading this, this ministry there in Trinets uh, with these guys. So this is, these are pictures from, uh, I think, second of their uh, public uh, service. This was another opportunity they came during COVID. It's an uh, older church. Uh, part of what we do is not just uh, church planting, but church revitalization. So you take an older church that has been stuck in, in a place for some time, and they're interested in uh, starting up again, basically. So we take some of those groups uh, in the network and help them uh, sort of restart um, the ministry. This is a group of about 30 people from uh, the city called Zlin, which is uh, south of uh, where Mayak is. And uh, we were able to uh, take them as one of our churches, and now we're working with them on uh, what does it look like to, you know, change things and, and sort of restart the church? Um, and then the last one, which was probably the, the most interesting thing, was the whole thing about Ukrainian crisis. Um, and uh, we were able, there again, there are these little cards, if you're interested, in, in the lobby. On the back side, there are uh, some of the things that we have been able to do and some of the things that we want to do. So if you're interested in that, you can look at, at, at that. But um, what is really cool that came out of it, we were able to help about 3,000 refugees to get to Czech Republic, and, and uh, 200 of those people uh, decided to stay with, uh, with us. And so we were able to help them start a Ukrainian church in, in Mayak uh, that we now have. It has about 150 people, and uh, they've been existing for about two months now. Uh, so uh, that was probably uh, the, the latest and biggest opportunity. There's still a lot of uh, social work and humanitarian work that we do. But uh, what came out of it was this the church plant that, that, that started. These are just uh, adults and teenagers. There is about 40 children that, uh, that uh, they have in their church that came because most of the people that came were women and children because the men stay in Ukraine and, and keep, fun, keep fighting. So, And another thing is this is our friend Oleg who has been with us in Mayak for three years, and we were able to take him as a Ukrainian pastor. So he's the guy that actually is leading that Ukrainian, Ukrainian church with the team. Um, so these are just some of the opportunities that we were, we were able to, 
to find uh, and be part of and uh, somehow help. Um, and I'm really thankful for you guys coming in and helping us with, with uh, supporting Tomas and the ministry that he does. He's uh, working with me uh, part-time in the church in Olomouc, where we live now. And then he's taking care of two other churches. One is the new church plant, and one is another church replant that we, we started about uh, about five or six months ago. So he's been doing that. Uh, so that's it. That's the update. If you're interested, we'll be around, so please uh, ask anything. <laughs> Uh, if you're ever in Czech, please come over. If you know somebody in Czech, that's one of the funny things. Is if you know somebody in Czech, there's a big chance we know them too. There's like, there's like six Christians there, so we we, we know each other pretty well. Um, uh, so that's the uh, that's the update part, and now uh, I'd like to move towards uh, the uh, the sermon. But uh, this this sermon that I wanna I wanna do today, or the message. Um, it is part of. It was part of our series at the Metro Church uh, that we came when we came after COVID. We, we decided to do a, sort of our vision series, right? And we have a three points in our vision that we want to do. The, the, that we, we are about as a church. One one thing is that we want to bring people a new life in Jesus. That's the that's the first point. The second thing what we want to do is to find uh, help them find a place in the family of our church of Metro. And the third one is, is to find a purpose or meaning of life in service for God or of God. And so I, I, I was preaching on the last one and uh, right before I came to this trip. And the reason why I was preaching uh, about this topic or why we decided uh, to, uh, to do this uh, vision series, I think it's relevant not only for us, but for, for my experience from a lot of the churches after COVID. And uh, the reason... There was, a, there was a reason why we started this, uh, this, this series, and it, the reason was we had a team meeting. I have a great team of seven guys that we lead, uh, lead together, a metro church together, uh, and we've been doing it for 10 years, so we're, we're great friends. We have a great, you know, great relationships. Uh, after the COVID, we had a one really important decision to make, and that decision was uh, if we're going to be doing our services at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock. Well, that was a really important decision. And what happened, I wasn't expecting what happened, because what happened was we had the most severe debate ever. <laughs> like, we never, like, we've never were debating anything. We would always come in and say, like, we're going to do it like this, right? Everybody was on board. Now we come out back after COVID, and we have to decide this, like, stupid thing, and we're arguing for 45 minutes without any conclusion, which is, I don't know if you've been on a church board, but that's happened a lot, but... And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking, like, what's going on? Because, you know, I read all those, like, church leadership books, and they always make fun of the, when churches are making decisions, like, what kind of carpet you're going to get, and it takes, like, three months. And they always make fun of it. I'm like, how did we become that? Like, how did we become that example from the book? So I, I went back home, and, and I was thinking about it. And uh, I, I came back, I, I, was, I was replaying all the conversations we had during the, during the, the discussion, and... What was happening was basically this. There was a group of people that said, well, our children are really small, and we want them to be in bed at 7 o'clock. So if we start at 5 o'clock, we really can't like, spend much time in church, and, and then we have to go home. And So we would like to start at 4. And there was another group of people that said, well, our children are a little older. And on Sunday, we go to have lunch with our parents. 
So if we start at four, we have to leave early to get there and to set up. So we would like to start at five. And I was replaying this in my mind, and then it struck me, like, what the, what's the problem? Because before the COVID, what we were doing was we said, well, we have a vision. There's something we want to do together. And everybody was like, we will adjust our life around this common vision we have. But now everybody was like, I want this to be done my way. Like, I really want to do it, like, in a way that's more suitable to, to my needs and to what I, where I am in life. And... Uh, so we came back, I told this to the guys, and, and they were like, oh yeah, this is what's happening. So we have to, they actually adjusted pretty quickly, which was good. But I think this just seems to be a small part of a bigger problem that I've seen um, after COVID, that, that something happened to our culture and also to the church during COVID. Um, because we basically spent two years of just focusing on ourselves. Um, there was this meme. I don't know if you guys like memes. I'm working with college students a lot. They like memes. <laughs> I think it's like their love language or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there was this meme <laughs> uh, that said, uh, for the fir first time in history, we can save the human race by lying in front of the TV and do nothing. <laughs> Let's not screw it up. <laughs> and I think that was part of the cultural message that say, you know, just do, don't do anything. Just focus on yourself, focus on your health, stay at home, make sure you're safe, you don't have to do anything. Uh, and in Czech, we, we did. We were stuck in like lockdowns almost the whole time, uh, except for a couple, you know, a couple months in the summer usually. But, but, and, and you've seen like a big boom of different things that we we're not doing before. Like we had this boom of delivery services. In Czech, we didn't do delivery except for pizza before. But now I have an app, which is awesome. I can order from any restaurant in town. I'm sitting at home, I'm flipping through restaurant menus, and I can choose which one will bring me food. It's awesome. Uh, and I don't have to go anywhere, right? Uh, we, had a, we had a big boom of streaming services, insane boom of streaming services. People were really doing this like pros. Um, and then I was, I was looking for like an ultimate, you know, argument that this is hap that this really changed our culture and I found it so this uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard about this but it really is a thing so uh, we are in Czech Republic is the biggest uh, beer drinkers in the world per capita by far I mean not that it's a good thing but it's just reality I don't know if you noticed but USA is not even you know in the chart <laughs> I don't know what that means, but <laughs> probably. Uh, so, so this this was the statistics, and uh, you know, in Czech, people love to go to the pubs. I mean, it's a thing, right? You, we don't go to therapy. You go to a pub and you talk to your buddies, and you're all okay. That's how it works. When you when you go to a pub, everybody's an expert on everything, right? Politics, sports, COVID, like everybody. Everybody knows everything in the pub. And it's okay. When it's in the pub, it's okay. But um, right before uh, we, I was preparing this sermon, I found this article with a guy who is a pre president of a Czech pub association, which is a thing. And he was complaining that the numbers of Czechs that are going to pubs have decreased significantly after COVID. Because people can sit on the couch find their favorite beer, and not to go anywhere. 
And this has all happened after COVID. Uh, I have spent, I'm 40 years old, and we, I spent two years in this condition where the cultural message was this. That's 5% of my life that's kind of moving you in a certain direction. And I think we would be foolish to think that it didn't affect us as a society and as a church too. I don't think it's, it, 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 it left us alone as a church. We, we sometimes think that church is immune to cultural changes, but it's not true. Um, and I, I also don't think that this, this whole situation bring anything new in church. It may be amplified what was already happening. The same way you could choose where you order your food or what kind of TV show you're going to watch. You could choose which sermon you're going to watch. If you didn't like the guy last week, you just find a different YouTube channel, basically. That was easy. Or you didn't have to watch anything. I mean, it was really nice to have Sunday mornings off. I don't know what you guys, what was your experience, but it was really nice. Uh, you could choose, you know, you didn't like the music. You didn't have to listen to it. You could pick, like, which part of the service you actually watch. You could do the dishes while you were watching the service, right? Or cook plunge or something. I think it has always been here. We're, we're always picking and choosing churches based on our preferences, right? Like, do we like the pastor or not? I mean, I like Steve, so probably I would be here anyway. But do we like the band? What kind of children's ministry do you have? Those would be the most common uh, ways how we decide which church we go to. But somehow during COVID, this got amplified, this kind of approach. Um, and I, I think when I looked at the situation, I think this basically uh, is a reflection of a way that people think about their faith and about life. And uh, that approach, I think, can be summarized in maybe this sentence. Oh, there you go. What can God do for me? I am a consumer in this big shopping mall called Faith. And the better you can, you, you can make the faith to appeal to me, the better for you and me. And I will be here or somewhere else based on uh, what it looks like. The better product you prepare for me, that's where I go. Right? So that's the, that's the question. But there is another approach in the Bible that I would like to look at with you today. And it's in, I would like to read from Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, um, first 11 verses. And the guys actually did uh, talk me into doing an experiment with you. So uh, they asked me to read in Czech. <laughs> and Eric will translate. No, <laughs> that wouldn't go so well. Um, but you can, you can follow on the screen. So I'll, I'll read in Czech and uh, you can follow. Jeli v Kristu nějaké povzbuzení, nějaké potěšení lásky, nějaké společenství ducha, nějaký soucit a milosedenství, pak mi prosím udělejte radost. Mějte ke všem stejný ohled, stejnou lásku, jednu duši, jednu mysl. Nikdy se nedejte vést soupeřivostí nebo ješitností, ale raději žijte v pokoře. Važte si druhých víc než sebe. Ať si každý nehledí jen sebe, ale také druhých. Ups, Smýšlejte tak, jako smýšlel Kristus Ježíš. Ačkoliv sdílel boží podstatu, na své rovnosti s ním netrval. Místo toho se vzdal sám sebe, přijal podstatu služebníka, vzal na sebe lidskou podobu. 
Ocitl se v těle jako člověk, ponížil se a byl poslušný, a to až k smrti, k smrti na kříži. Proto jej Bůh povýšil nade všechno, jméno nad každé jméno mu daroval, aby před jménem Ježíš kleklo každé koleno na nebi, na zemi i pod zemí a každý jazyk, aby ke slávě Boha Otce vyznal, že Ježíš Kristus je pán. So there is a different approach that Paul is, is talking about in this text. And he gives, in the second part of the text, when he's talking about Christ and, and his journey, he's giving the reason for a different way of life. And the reason comes out of uh, actually the essence of what does it mean to be a Christian, right? He's saying this is exactly what Jesus was doing, what his life was like. Jesus, who was God, was willing to give up, give up his rights and freedoms. He, make him, he made himself less. And now the important thing, he took the form of the servant, born in the likeness of men. So you have God who becomes a man and he becomes servant of men, which is in itself crazy. And I don't think I even understand what does that mean. But this is what happened. And Paul says that the, the, the servant, servant became Christ's identity, became who he was. He even got himself killed. Jesus' ministry cost him his life. The life that he gave for us. That's why we are here, right? Because we believe that this is what saved us. Jesus' sacrifice. This is the foundation of Christian living, of Christian faith. And then Paul does this little weird thing. He says, this is a pattern, this, this way down from heaven to the earth, to the grave and back. It's a pattern. And he says, your life should look like this pattern. Live like Christ. This is what, what does it mean to follow him. To, li to live like Christ. The life of ministry that we're called to. To be like him. To serve others. And I think there are a couple observations. One is that this is a, a lifestyle matter. Something we are. Ministry and service is not like an entry in your calendar. Like Tuesday, you know, at five o'clock I'm going to be doing ministry. It's a lifestyle. It's identity. It's not a task. Something I am, that's not just something I do. So before I'm a husband or a wife, I am a servant. Before I'm an employee or boss or colleague in a workplace, I am a servant. Before I'm a student, a neighbor, a friend, I am a servant. It affects how I treat people in my life. And the other observation is really interesting because he says, how do you do that? How do you get to the place where uh, you're able to live this kind of lifestyle? And, and, and he says this, count others more significant than yourself. And I would add, or at least the same. I mean, I think Paul's a little, you know, aiming too high. I don't know if you, if you read that. I, it, it sounds a little bit too high to me. So I would say, I would suggest, like, if this is, like, if, if we, we want to get practical, I, I would suggest, like, let's aim to count others as significant as ourselves. Like, imagine what that would look like if we see people as important as ourselves. Their dreams, their desires, their wishes, their time, as important as our time. What would ha how different would our lives look like? In marriage, you know, husbands. Paul then says, you know, husbands, love your wives as, as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. Imagine 
How many problems in marriages would just disappear if we would look at each other and say, your dreams, your goals, your desires are as important as mine? Not even more important, just as important. Or at work, you know, you see people around and you see them as equally important as you are. Their, their time, their, uh, their needs, their task, whatever they're doing, it's as important as yours. Or in the church, you know, what, when we look in the church, there are a lot of things that need to be done. And people look, I, I look at other people and they're as important as me. Their time is as important as mine. So I will be part of what's happening so that we kind of all share the load in what's happening. Not just a few. And we can, we can keep going. But that's what, what Paul says. You, you count others as, as significant or more significant than yourself. Actually, he, he aims even higher. Uh, but as I said, I would, if we start at the same, I think we would, we would get really far. And so the question is, at the end, is, what Paul is saying is, is, if Jesus sacrificed himself for me, how can my life reflect that kind of attitude as I live it? And there's a different, I think there's a different question. What can I do for God or other people? So these would be two ways you can look at life and faith. And the question, of course, is, which one do you choose? Which one do we choose? Two ways to approach life and faith. Two ways to understand it. Which one is better and which one would you choose? And uh, I know we're in church, so clearly it should be the, the second one, right? That's pretty obvious. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's that easy. I don't think we do it that often, and it's that easy. The reason for wh- why I think that is because behind, all, behind these two ways of life, these two approaches of life, to life and faith, is, is actually two competing ideas about what will make us happy in life. There are two competing ideas about what will make us happy. One idea is that the more I have, the more things are done my way, the more I consume, the more I acquire, the more happy I will be, and happier I will be. And then there is the other idea that says the more I give away, the more I live my life for others and for God, the more meaning and happiness will be in my life. And as Paul says in Acts 20, it is better to give than to receive. And the question is, if we, if we really, really believe it, if we are really willing to believe that giving, uh, giving is better than receiving. And so, basically, we're choosing between where we will find happiness and meaning in life. Uh, I, was, I was looking at uh, different ways how... Um, the different reasons why I believe that the second one the one that we've read in Philippians is better. And uh, I actually came up with two, two things. Uh, one thing is that it seems to me that the consumeristic approach to life doesn't seem to work, even though we, we really like, are trying to pursue it. I mean, never in history we, were, we, we had resources and means to be more happy. Never in history we had so much. Uh, I think if you take a person that lived in about 1,000 years ago, somewhere in wherever people lived back then, and you would, you would just transport them here. I think they would think they're in heaven. I really do. I mean, the, the, the ways we can, you know, the, the, med- medical, uh, the, the medical, the medicine advanced in such a significant way. Uh, we, have, we lived longer than anybody before us. 
We have money, we have resources, we have everything. And somehow we're not happy. And I mean, if you look at all the different research and all the different statistics, uh, uh, you'll, you'll see that, that people are not happy. We need more pills to make us at least stable than ever in history. And I think the answer that the culture is trying to give to this uh, materialistic approach often is found in sort of the self-help industry that's promising uh, meaning and happiness when you focus on yourself. And it's often in like a Christian self-help industry. It's the same thing. Um, But basically the idea is there are some sort of life hacks that if you (laughs) figure out, you'll make yourself, you'll make your life, you know, happier. There are five steps to uh, a great marriage, right? Have you figured those out yet? <laughs> I mean, depends on which book you read, but, right? Um, there are like these tricks that you can find to raise your kids and they will be awesome. And it's probably like three of them only or something. You know, if you drink a, a water with lemon in the morning, your life will be different. <laughs> Somehow there's a trick to, like, you have to, you have to find this trick that will make your life happier and more meaningful but it doesn't seem to work interesting because the culture is also uh, realizing this and um, I think well illustrated as it, it is in this movie if you want to watch a movie this is a good movie I like uh, and uh, it's based on a book by a French uh, psychiatrist and philosopher and he's basically uh, what he's doing in his uh, in his work is he's trying to bring these uh, concepts from uh, philosophy and psychology to people, like to popularize them, right? And so he's doing it through the stories of Hector. And so he always writes a book about Hector. Hector is doing something. Hector is looking for something. So in this particular book, Hector is searching for happiness. And Hector is this guy. He's a, he's a psychiatrist who lives in London. And he has just normal life, right? He has a girlfriend. He has a, 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 his a psychology practice or psychiatry practice. And he's just living normal life. And at one point, he realizes that he's not happy. And so he, he, he embarks on this great journey to search for happiness, right? So he goes to Asia and Africa, and he ends up in, in L.A. at this, um, like, neuroscientist place, you know, uh, at university. And, uh, and the whole movie ends up there where they're doing all kinds of research on how people are happy or not happy. And, and the, the point of, and then the message of the movie is really simple. And I think we all know it, but some, sometimes we forget. And the message is that, If you're trying to find happiness, if you focus on on looking for happiness in life, you will never find it. That's not how it works. Happiness is always found in in living for something bigger and for other people. That's where happiness is always... If you do that in your life, you will get these glimpses of happiness in your life and meaning. When you live for others and for, uh, for something bigger, you can experience happiness. Never in focusing on yourself and on more that, that you can have. And that's why we dare to say that we can find meaning in life in the service of God and of other people. We really can. So that, and that's what the Paul is saying in the Acts 20. Is it, it is better to give than to receive. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians about the, the, the journey of Jesus. That we should follow his example. Why I decided to write the sermon, the, other, the, the second reason why I decided to write the sermon was that 
I encountered many people in the last probably six months that came to me with this question. And the question was, how can I do it all in life? How can I have it all? What's the, what's the hack? What's the trick? I can, how can I fit it all in my life? I have a school. I have a job. I have a family. I have hobbies. I have ministry. I want to travel. Uh, I want to have a dog, a cat, a fish. I want to have kids. That comes like after the fish, right? In today's culture. Um, how do I do it all? And I think one of the very popular and attractive idea, the ideas that come with the consumeristic mindset is that you can actually have it all. There is a way how you can have it all in your life. Everything. Everything you can have. And that's where the self-help comes in and says, well, you just, have to, you just have to plan better. You just have to find a way how to fit everything into your calendar better. You need to organize better in your life and you will be able to get everything you want. You ha- just have to get better at your life and you'll get it all you can have enough money and enough free time somehow you can have it you can have a demanding job and spend a lot of time with your family and kids at the same time you can have kids and live as you don't as if you don't that's what a lot of people dream of i think you can live your life the way you want and you can live for jesus at the same time you can have it all You don't have to choose. And I think into this culture, into that kind of mindset, Jesus speaks some of the most difficult and harshest words he ever spoke. Words that so often we don't know what to do with. He says, you have to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and your life in order to follow me. You cannot serve God and money. Don't worry about what you will eat and where you will live. Don't worry about that. It is better to cut cut off your hand than to be tempted. And we often look at these statements and, and we go like, what, what does it mean? Should we really cut off our hands? Like, do we hate our families? Do we all become homeless and become part of the hooligans church? Is that what we're supposed to do? But I think Jesus is saying very simple things in all these statements. And uh, he's saying you cannot have everything in life. There are things in life that are mutually exclusive. Which is a very hard thing to hear for some people. You cannot have it all. We have to choose. There is always going to be a tension. Society is saying uh, you can have it all. And then Jesus is saying you can't have it all. In our context, I think if we want to follow Jesus and live for other people... You cannot live for yourself at the same time. We cannot do it. It's not, it won't fit. It will never work. We have to choose. If we want to be Christians and follow Jesus faithfully, there will be times in our life when occasionally, I think, people will tap their foreheads go, you're crazy. That decision you, you made about your job, that was crazy. And other, other times. It doesn't have to be like all the time, right? You don't have to be like a city freak. But... Sometimes, unless you're Eric, I mean, (laughs) sometimes there will be times where people will think you're crazy because of the decisions you make. So the question is if you can have it all. And uh, at the end, I want to go into two maybe very practical things. Uh, I think in order to serve God, 
this is absolutely essential to understand that we have to choose. And my observation of the church is that the problem is not that people are unwilling to serve. I think all of you here, I don't even know you, but I, I would assume from the, the, how I know people in church, you really want to serve, right? But I think what, what I see it, where, where, where the problem is, is the unwillingness to accept that I really can't have it all. That I want to serve, but it will cost me something. There will be sacrifices in my lifestyle in the way I, in the way I live. It will cost me something. And just accepting this is really, really hard. So the first very practical thing, I think, is it's, it's that as we talked about the service, it's, it's an attitude or identity. It's who we are, right? We're, we're the servants. Um, we talked about this. This is who Jesus was. It wasn't just something he did. It was who he was. He came to serve. He was a servant. And so we are the servants. It's, it's an attitude we have in life. But in my experience, this attitude with people who have it always translates somehow into some sort of activity. It's not like we're sitting in front of the TV on a couch trying to save the world, right? And saying, I have a servant heart. I do nothing. Uh, I think that's, that's what, uh, that, 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 that has always been like that. People who have this attitude, this identity of servant, they always translate it into some sort of activity. And I think there are just maybe a couple of practical things. I think for younger generation, you know, sharing things on Instagram is not activity. Right? Just make sure that we all understand this. People think that they post a picture or like something, then it's, they're very active. Right? It's what usually people do in the bathroom. So that's one thing. The other thing that... Um, I think in the church, we have elevated coming and sitting and listening to an activity. You ask people, like, what do you do in church? I come. I listen. That's how I participate, right? Uh, and it's good, and it's good to come and listen. It's, it's great. But I, 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 was, I was telling my people, and maybe you can, you can even think about this. When you look at your life, how you participate with a church, how much time do you spend sitting... And how much time do you spend actually doing something, helping with something? Because the attitude always translates into activity. So that would be one thing. The other thing is we, that, that really came up to me when, when I was thinking about these things is that we have to learn to live with a margin in our lives. And this is something that, you know, is, I'm actually talking to myself now more than to you. If you believe, if we believe that we can have it all in life, and it's just a matter of poor planning. We have to get better at planning, right? And so we do. A lot of people do. And then their, uh, their calendars look like this. Uh, you know? You have a job. You have a kids. You, you have all kinds of activities. You have to get, you know, you have to get them there in time, go back. Uh, you have to relax. Your wife has to relax alone, and then you have to relax together, and then you have to relax with your kids, and then you, you know, have to play with your kids, then you have to teach something to your kids, you have to send them to a baseball game or some, whatever you guys do here. You have to do all these things, and so you try to fit it all in there, and this is what your calendar looks like, or, or mine actually, but <laughs> this is not my calendar. <laughs> this is not, what, it's not as crazy as this. But... And we think that this is gonna this is gonna really uh, 
this, or this is the solution. Somehow it's like a game of Tetris, right? When you put this together in the right way, it will disappear. Uh, it seems that people think that way. The problem is, and this is, this is not, I don't have like a scientific proof for this or research, but in my experience, most of the, the, a lot of the most important things in life, they don't happen on a schedule. Right? So, um, just a couple examples. A couple, couple weeks ago, we were with our life group or missional community or whatever you call them here. And we usually meet on Monday from 5 to 7. And this, this one of the couples invited us over to their place. So we, 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 we had our meeting there. And then we, spent, we, we stayed for another three hours and just talked to this couple. And that was the most important time. It was the time we really connected with these people. And we, we, we shared lives and talked about what's happening. And it was great. But if this was my schedule, I would probably have to be at 7.15 somewhere else. and would never have time to do that. I'm involved in, in several college ministries, and uh, uh, we would have these meetings on Wednesday night, um, and then some of the kids, as I'm driving home, I would drive them to their dorms or places where they live, and it's usually in the car when we're driving from the meeting when they start talking about their life and, and the real thing. Not in the meeting, but afterwards. Many parents have this experience that you're driving with your kids somewhere, and then after two, two hours in a, in a car where your daughter's not talking to you at all, right? She's listening to music and just ignoring you. The last five minutes of the drive, they start talking to you, right? And then you have to drop them off and go somewhere else. I had a very painful experience of this the, the last Sunday before I came here. I, my, my life looked like this that Sunday. It wasn't it wasn't based because of my planning, but we, I had to do an unexpected Ukrainian wedding. <laughs> and the only time I could fit it in was in a lunch on Sunday. So I drove to one, one city. Uh, I preached there in the morning. Uh, then I had to drive two hours to do the wedding. And then I drove one, one hour to do the afternoon service and preach in another city. And so I, I drove in the morning. I did the, the service. We ended up at 11 o'clock, and I had to leave at 11.15 to drive to do the wedding. And at 11.10, this very sweet lady that I've known in the church, and she became a new believer there, she came to me and said, my father has a cancer and he's dying. And I looked at my watch and I was like, I have five minutes. And that's, some, that's a situation you don't want to get, in, get yourself into. You have somebody with a real problem in life that comes to you for help, and you have five, I really had five minutes. So I wanted to shoot myself in the foot because I, because I didn't have time for her. I had to leave. And I think this is what happens if we don't have margin in life, that we always miss these opportunities, or not always, but very often miss these opportunities because we have to be somewhere else, because we think we can have it all. But the truth is we can't. And the question is, what do we choose in life? And if you were followers of Jesus, you had actually said you had chosen. We, had, we said we had chosen, right? We want Jesus. We want to live uh, our lives in a different way than the world around us. But I think we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to be reminding ourselves of that, especially after COVID. We have chosen. We want to be people 
who live for others and for God, even if it means sacrifice. But we know that it is worth it because we believe in the one that sacrificed his life for us. So I hope that this was a good reminder for all of you. It was definitely and is a reminder for myself because I can get stuck in this thinking. Uh, but I hope that this was uh, a reminder and encouragement for you that it is, it is the way that will bring us meaning and happiness if we choose to follow it, even though it's hard. Because we believed in the one that did it for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, be here and to even share about what are you doing in Czech Republic and uh, all the opportunities we have received from you. And thank you for last 10 years where we were able to raise leaders and uh, we were ready for them. And uh, I pray for a church, for Creekside and uh, for all the people here that they can also be ready for all the different opportunities that you're preparing for them. And I pray for all of us that uh, we can understand the ways of Jesus. We can understand what does it mean to follow him. And we can see that it is, it is, he is worth the sacrifice we have to make in life to follow him. Amen. Yeah, as we live in the tension of trying to pursue humility, counting others more significant than ourselves, and sacrificing, you know, as Freddie was saying, um, I'm encouraged by the end of Philippians as Paul um, talks about uh, our needs, not our wants, our need uh, in finding fulfillment in God, ultimately, not in what we're seeking, um, and that our needs are truly, our souls are satisfied deep, the most deeply with him. So I'll read this last verse as, as a benediction as we go. Um, this is in Philippians 4:19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>